0: Welcome to Episode 5 of the Village Church Podcast Show. I'm Josh Patterson, joined here with Matt Chandler and J.T. English. J.T., welcome. Good to have you on the show, ma'am.
1: Thanks, Josh. Real glad to be here.
0: Yeah, I want to give just kind of a brief introduction about J.T. J.T. joined our staff in October of this past year from Southern Seminary, where you had the distinguished opportunity to serve as the Chief of Staff there to Dr. Al Moeller, and so we figured this would be a great time just to give us a little bit of dirt on Dr. <laughs> Moller. So give us some inside tips on him, some things about him. Matt, feel free to chime in, anything you've got as well.
2: Yeah, I don't know that I'm as close as JT is to Dr. Moeller, but I would be interested in his 40-yard dash time and or vertical jump.
1: He's actually never completed a 40-yard dash. <laughs> he, he picks up a book every 10 <laughs> yards or okay. so. Uh, yeah.
2: And by pick it up, you mean like literally it up, memorize read. it? Um, verbatim.
1: Front and to back, back yeah. back to front, yeah. That's
0: great. Well, excited about this show. We've got a lot Should to cover good. today. We're going to talk about uh, you know the three big segments, Life at the Village, Culture and Theology, and the Ministry and Leadership. So in the Life at the Village section, we'll talk about the prayer series, we'll talk about James, uh, we'll talk about, in Culture and Theology, the NFL, we'll talk about violence of the game of football, how to think about that, and wrap it up, Ministry and Leadership, talking about Uh, the Village Church training, why we're doing it, what it's going to look like, and um, our excitement about that. And so, you know, we just finished up the the month of prayer here at the Village Church, and and we do this every January. And during that month, we really focus on three anchor points of prayer. So we launch out into a call to prayer, and then this month, uh, just like we have again every year, Uh, prayed through the topics of racial reconciliation, the sanctity of life, and the call for the church to take the gospel to the nations. And so, again, just another solid month. I felt like the Lord was gracious to us, and and the messages were challenging and strong. um, And it feels like this is is a good rhythm in the life of our church where we're coming back and not just considering these issues only in January, but really setting aside January to consider them uh, again and anew and afresh, and, and these issues really stay with us all throughout the year uh, at, different, at different aspects. And so uh, just thinking about racial reconciliation, and uh, this has been on our hearts yeah. for, for years. Uh, it's the month of February right now, which is obviously Black History Month, and, and just continuing to be mindful of the contributions of African Americans uh, in our nation's history and want to be mindful of that as a church and as a body.
2: Yeah, I I think it's you know it's some of the conversations I've had um, with with m- my African American friends and, and some of the pastors in uh, Acts twenty nine who are uh, African American the the idea of Black History Month is um, man it, it's kind of a split there are some that, right. that really like it and appreciate and there's some that 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 feel like it's you know kind of just a a little olive branch, or or right. something. But I, I think really a, a great conversation maybe we could have that would help is um, it, for people churches that are in more homogenous settings, and I'm talking particularly about uh, whites. Um, what wh- what books or or kind of steps have you taken that have that have helped? kind of increase your ethnic iq because i think the first step really in breaking down homogeny and entering into um relationships um that are outside your own kind of um ethnic makeup and understanding is an, is an understanding or an increased iq Um, In different ethnicities, like I I think uh, for myself, um, the book, The Warmth of Other Sons, and then um, Frederick Douglass's autobiography, those two books in particular really reshaped how I considered uh, and thought about, um, particularly my relationships with African Americans and and the ability to understand uh, a bit more of um, frustrations that were present, hopes that were present, Mm -hmm. and and enabled me to, in some way, and and I want to make sure I emphasize in some way, um, walk in some empathy right. um, with my brothers and right. sisters.
0: You know, as, as a family, it's just Natalie and I, um, this month, have have decided with the kids, we're just going to read through uh, some short kid books. Uh, we, we bought uh, who is Martin Luther King Jr., who is Rosa Parks, who's Harriet Tubman, and we're just reading those with the kids, just, again, to raise the ethnic IQ of our That's family. That's great idea. Uh, which has been good. It's been encouraging with our kids. That's yeah, so. a great idea. Though.
1: How are the kids responding to those kind of books? They they're loving them, it. Yeah. I
0: mean, they're asking questions, and, and it's it's discovery for them. It's got to be rich. Know. It is rich. It's a good conversation, and it's a hard conversation. Uh, just as my older kids are asking more insightful questions mm-hmm. um, uh, about why. you know, wh- Why couldn't uh, an African-American sit on this side of the bus? Yeah, like Why would they treat? people differently. And so it's, it's a good conversation. I think it's a needed and necessary conversation to have. And so we're just using the platform that our country gives us for Black History Month to launch into those conversations in our family. And so um, it's been good. It's been real good. That's awesome. Yeah. All right, Matt, we're about to launch into a new series and the book of James. Talk to us a little bit about, about that. Well, it's,
2: my, my heart and desire in doing the book of James really came out of it's been a while since I kind of had the opportunity to go line by line through a book of the Bible and so was hungry to do that and and at the same time um, thought that that we've worked really hard here um, at the village church to really kind of establish and and build a strong kind of biblical theology and understanding of um, those kind of Big building blocks of theology, but I but I wanted to do James kind of as the Proverbs of um, the New Testament yep. uh, so that our people might grow in a wisdom and knowledge of the application of those doctrines and, and not just have the doctrines themselves as some sort of um, um, ethereal kind of, yeah, yeah, I know these things are true, which is great, but I wanted to preach through James because it's on the ground the Father inviting us into um, obedience and wisdom for uh, really our own joy, for His glory, and and I love I love the book of James because it really is a it it reads like a father pleading with yeah. his mm-hmm. children not to give themselves over to what will hurt them, but rather come into where the fullness of life is found. And so uh, to be able to spend twelve weeks on, on this book and really take every word of it yep. um, and consider it. I'm I'm really excited about getting started this weekend.
0: So thinking about the book, it's, it's intensely practical, which is yeah. one thing that's really helpful about the book of James. It's also, you know, having read through it a lot in preparation for the series for myself and just considering it and want to be ready for what the Lord has for me personally, it's a... Extremely convicting book. That's right. It's it's just hard, and
2: and I don't think here's what here's another great thing about James. It's always going to hit you like that, yeah, because of progressive sanctification. I mean, I just can't imagine. Now it'll hit you differently, right? But but I just can't I can't believe there's a time coming in this life um, that I'm going to read that section on taming the tongue and not go. Dang it! I still got. I still got a ways nailed, to go. I still got a ways to go. This, right. And so I think that's one of the things I, I also love about the book because it, it is you can see so clearly. This is about progress, not perfection. Okay, mm-hmm.
0: so that that line there, and I know that's probably a line you're, you're definitely on repeat. On repeat, because it it could be one of those books if you don't see it in that light that it is about progress, not perfection, that it is about this progressive sanctification and the work that I am growing into maturity, and I'm not there, um, that it could just, it could almost wear you down. Yeah, there's no doubt.
2: Well, and, and this is why, you know, Luther Struggle called it the epistle of straw. Right, right, and, right. you know,
0: there's, you know, absolutely. Well, I look forward to it, man. I look forward to that. Um, we're going to switch gears here and talk about culture and theology. Looking forward to a discussion about the National Football League and all that is going on there. Looking forward to the discussion, culture, and theology as we talk about the NFL. We're just a couple of days removed from the Super Bowl, and here's the crazy thing. The Super Bowl is supposed to be the end of the season, and it is, but with the NFL, the season uh, really never ends, so to speak. And so, um, you know, we've got what was the most watched Super Bowl in history, and what was maybe one of the most epic endings or collapses, depending on how you want to yeah, look at that. who you were that. cheering for, yeah. right? Who you were cheering um, for. And it, it was crazy. One, thoughts on the play? Anybody? Anybody? Yeah.
2: You know, it's a, if he throws that back shoulder, it's a touchdown. And True. and so, but you do have Marshawn Lynch. You got to run the ball. The, the rest of but, and, and the that's ball. what people are going to say for the rest of history. But they're not saying that if he threw it to his back shoulder and not his front shoulder. True. They're saying brilliant play call. True. If now he catches that back shoulder.
0: Brilliant play by that by that rookie cornerback. One I mean, that, out of not, a million.
2: Not just rookie, like undrafted, yeah. unwanted, basically an NFL walk on. Yeah, so
0: props to that guy. Yeah. I and mean, that was epic. That was epic. But here is the crazy thing: the season ends. It's a great Super Bowl. And then you wake up literally on Monday morning to news that that Johnny Manziel has entered into rehab, Which that Warren God. Sapp uh, has been arrested, arrested on uh, prostitu- prostitution solicitation and um, potential battery charges. You've got uh, another Baltimore Ravens player who's uh, been released from the team for uh, animal cruelty charges, and not just animal, like
2: a dog and
0: an alligator.
2: Yeah, it, which, an it, it alligator. wasn't just. I don't know how you get exactly. An so it wasn't
0: just a. Uh, it involved a dog, <laughs> an alligator, and dope. <laughs> what did it take to get to that moment? I, I read somewhere
2: epic. maybe a unicorn or a Sasquatch was involved. <laughs> I could have the source could perhaps, be off there. Perhaps, perhaps.
0: And then on top of that, uh, a a judge in the case against the NFL and and the concussion lawsuit just said, uh, hey, this settlement of $765 million is not adequate and wanted the NFL to go back and consider that again and so uh, expects the NFL to either respond with an increased settlement by the uh, mid-February or the NFL will just embattle itself in a long lawsuit. So it's just crazy how embroiled the NFL has been this season. With controversy and challenges, um, and yet the machine keeps rolling. Absolutely. Uh, it, well, that's what happens when there's billions money? of dollars totally. at stake, and totally. So, uh, you know, I heard it said that that it's the most uh, the most dysfunctional successful organization going. That's a good word. Uh, and and so one thing we thought we'd talk about here is we think about the concussion lawsuit and all the information that keeps coming out about. The violence of the game and the impact of uh, sustained blows and head injuries, and, and how this is impacting players and, um, and kind of their long term viability. You know, you've got these studies showing that of these 128 brains that they have uh, investigated of deceased players, 101 or something like yeah. that of those 80% showed damage. showed damage, showed this. Uh, CTE, which is man, that's staggering. That is, um, and and so how do we think about that, right? Like as a parent, as a Christian, you think about the violence of the game. You see the violence of the game, and I'm saying this as a lifelong football Absolutely. fan. I grew up watching it with my dad and with my brother, and it's a and now part watch of it with your son, and watch it with my and son, yeah. and it's a part of the kind of our cultural liturgy. It's it's. I've just grown up with it, it's and the fabric I love it. Of our culture, totally. But how do we think about this? We think about the Imago Day, and we think yeah. about being an image bearer, and knowing that this game one is violent, and then two is actually could be damaging people long term.
2: Yeah. Well, I, you know, I, I'm I'm just now starting to consider. I think that's that's where I am now. Is is now I'm seeing information now, and and we've talked about this already, Josh, but like just reading the limited amount that's starting to come out i think there'll be more coming out um i I've started, you know, saying to my son who's nine, "Hey, let's go shoot. Let's go shoot hoop out in the front instead of let's go throw the ball." Right. And um, and so we'll see what comes. I'm right now. I'm just kind of taking this in. I, I know enough about statistics to know one that we live kind of a in a shock and awe culture mm-hmm. yep. that that yep. loves to take a little bit of research and make it massive, um, and and likes to skew statistics to make something a bigger deal than it is. Um, and so I, I'm not going to quote Mark Twain here, but, but you can play with statistics and kind of bend them and make them say say what you want them them to say. And so I'm going to give it a little bit of time. You know, my son's not put on a helmet and pads yet. He plays flag and he loves it. And I'll probably keep letting him do that. But, but I will be keeping an eye on this in a way that before this started a year ago, um, I was just thinking, oh man, he'll play what he wants to play. And and if he loves it, he can go get it. And it'll be awesome. It's Texas. He's got to play football.
1: Yeah, I think it's right to give it some time, let some more stats come out, let the conversation continue, while at the same time, this is a serious issue. Uh, When we're dealing with the Imago Dei, for some reason God keeps bringing the issue of the Imago Dei in front of our church, and particularly we think of the Beautiful Design series, uh, we think about sanctity of human life, and now this. I mean, when we're talking about the image of God, we're talking about the crown of God's creation, something that images Him and mirrors Him and mimics Him. To all of creation, when violence is being done to even one of God's image, it should give Christians a pause right. and help us to consider and think about what we're either supporting or not supporting as it relates to the image of God.
0: And so, the crazy thing about football is that you, you get to see both aspects of the Imago Day. right. Like what the Imago Day is capable of in terms of athleticism and strength and yeah. vigor and size speed ratio. Totally, it's amazing. It's, crazy. it's amazing. Mm-hmm. But it's a violent game. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I've seen some people compare it to uh, the gladiators of back in the day and the Colosseum, and and for me, man, that just it just doesn't hold. It's an exaggeration. Yeah, it yeah that's I mean that goes much. back
2: to what I'm saying. Where they they take what what is probably a legitimate issue, and we'll find out more in sure. time, and go, oh, look at see, this is what it's like. We're like the people sitting in the Colosseum cheering right. on as man gets ripped to shreds by lions, which I think
0: is different. Yeah, you're going.
2: I, I, ca- I mean, I kind of understand what you're saying
0: so so listen to this quote uh this guy daniel flynn in his book war on football says this on the whole people who play football are going to walk away from the game healthier than the people who sit in the stands and watch it and so this is kind of the counter argument saying yeah football it it has some side effects to it there are some people who are having some long-term effects but but on the whole the average football player walks away healthier than the average american and and so to think about the tension and the balance, um, I think, is good and right yeah. to consider it, but also to know that we're talking about a small segment here that are walking away, at least at this point yeah. uh, that we know uh, that are walking away. Uh, well, it'll be
1: have, interesting to see how the research comes out with kids. I mean, right yeah. now, a lot of the studies that are being done research, are around professionals yeah. or right. collegiate athletes, even high school. We're talking about five-, six-, seven-, eight-year-old kids, and some, some early studies are showing... Even without a concussion, some of their their brain structures being changed right. at a microscopic level. Those are things we need to be considering. Well, so for I me, agree. I
0: think it boils down to an awareness issue. Yeah. So if the NFL knows something, they should be speaking about this. Mm-hmm. And if you know the consequences of playing, and you choose to play, uh, then then you have chosen to play, understanding what the consequences are. And, um, but if if we're not aware of that, then that's where I think the issue is. So as a parent, um, I just plan on. Playing football with my kid mm-hmm. in the backyard, mm-hmm. having fun with it. I don't think he's going to have a career in football. No offense, buddy. That's right. um, well, he's got some bloodlines. He's got. I some mean, blood not on your lines. side, not on your family <laughs> side, but
2: it's not. It's the. It's true. He can and be this kicker. podcast is based on truth. Is that right? <laughs> it's right. So Natalie's father was kind of an all-world quarterback. That's true. Your dad was not. Sorry,
0: Dad. <laughs> true. Richard,
2: if you're listening to this. Dad, you're
0: an all-world dad. And I know you're not listening to this because it involves technology. That's true. This is a safe spot. That's true. Safe spot. Any other thoughts on this? Just things to think about?
1: Well, I think the nexus really hits, at least for me. So my wife's pregnant with our first son. He's going to be born in April. And I'm thinking about, uh, as you guys already are, as you're further along with your kids, how am I going to raise him to think about this issue? Because right. for me, I mean, I'm going to watch football on Sunday. I'm right. going to watch football on Saturday. It's just I love it. I love football. But when I think about him uh, getting hit, I guess here's what we should say there's for every one NFL player, there's about 2000 peewee football players or perhaps Absolutely. even more. And so that's where the issue hits for me. It's these, these kids that aren't going to make it to the pros. They probably aren't even playing college, but they're making life decisions in some sense without knowing it. So it's an area that we need to consider uh w- what are we doing perhaps to to the youngest in our population without even knowing it. Yeah.
2: And and so this goes back also I think and and I t- talked quite about Quite a bit about this here at the village is we, we need to be careful as parents that we 're not trying to live vicariously through our children because um, I think that I, I think the the idea um, the the idea that for your kid to make it to the pros you 've got to start him when he 's seven or eight years old right. so that he you know, gets ahead or um, figures things out is – is it's a myth. It's absurd. And and so uh, e- even the professional athletes that I've been graced to kind of be around, a lot of them started later. They got turned on to the game later on. They were just – they were playing everything totally. and, and having a good time. And, and if you've got they, it, you've got you, it. You've got it, yeah. And, and you can see that even in my son's little reeds, you know, flag football – League, you can just see. Okay, that kid's faster than every other kid out here. Right. Mm-hmm. He just is. Mm-hmm. And my son, bless his heart, he can run and do all the speed drills he wants. He's not going to be as fast as that kid. That kid's just faster. Yeah. And and that kid's bigger. And and on size, I mean, you you know, different guys they mature at different rates. But um, but yeah, you can see this kid has it.
0: This kid, you know, is loves the game. It's having a good time. And and this kid's just a hustler, and that's a good thing. Yeah. So again, just good for us to consider, yeah. good for us to consider the implications of the Imago Day, for us to consider um, what we're investing in and why we're investing in, rather than just being passive agents, but being active participants, sure. if it's not just mentally and spiritually, but thinking about what it is we're engaging in, I think is yeah. important. So good discussion. We're going to turn our attention now to talk about uh, ministry at the Village Church, specifically our training program. Going to talk about ministry and leadership, specifically looking at the Village Church training program, and this is something that really has been on our hearts for a long time. Years, yeah, as we have considered kind of our mission statement that we exist to make disciples, um, and we're doing that through gospel-centered worship, gospel-centered community, gospel-centered service, gospel-centered multiplication, and knew that we needed something to come alongside and bolster each one of those aspects, and specifically that was around training and and training up discipling men and women in some real specific intentional ways and and uh this past year just saw a real great opportunity to bring jt on and and have him lead that charge and and help us in that and so one Thrilled that you're here, man. Thanks, Just Josh. really we, thrilled that you're we here. We could not be more thrilled to it's be awesome. here. So give us a little bit of your background, your burden for this, because yeah. it really fits in with our burden for it as well. And so talk about theological education, the need for it in the church, some of those things.
1: Sure, yeah. So I spent the last seven years in formal theological education at two seminaries, getting degrees, also working uh, at an institution of higher education at a level that allowed me to see the institution from a 50,000-foot view, some of the challenges they're facing financially, some of the challenges they're facing with accreditation, as we see some cultural changes. Formal education as as it exists uh, in America, but specifically evangelical theological education, is shifting rapidly uh, and and shifting far faster than most people realize. And so having the opportunity to see that showed me some of the challenges uh, that institutions are facing. Uh, I think one of them being probably the primary one uh, is finances. Most students that are graduating from seminaries right now graduate with fifty to $70,000 worth of debt. That's and crazy. And it is crazy. It's absolutely crazy. Fortunately, there are some seminaries that are able to, to subsidize some of that, yeah. but average, that's... And then when you think about graduating with $70,000 in debt, only to go into a ministerial position, yeah, right. you know, to, yeah. to, 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 to you know get bankrolled and be able to pay that off quickly, that's just not going to happen for right. most men and women graduating from institutions like this. Uh, so there's, there's kind of this cultural challenge that I think is is helping theological institutions think about their future and their mission, But before we even begin thinking about that, there's this theological imperative of the church being the domain that makes disciples. The seminaries come alongside uh, to help the church as a parachurch organization to assist the church in making disciples and creating men and women who are ready uh, for ministry positions. But as I was thinking about the cultural challenges that we're facing uh, our churches and, and the seminaries, I thought to myself... There's really a theological imperative before we get to this cultural challenge. Right. Disciples need to be made in the church right, before they're made in seminaries. And,
0: and I think it's important to note that what has sadly happened as these institutions have grown and, and become helpful, that the church has just swung the pendulum and punted to those institutions That's right. almost That's entirely. Exactly right. And so it, it's not helpful to point the finger at an institution no. and say, Um, hey, this is our job, why are you trying to do what we're doing? It it has happened because of the church.
2: Well, I heard um, Dr. Moller at the first Together for the Gospel say, the quality of student I'm getting from your churches is so biblically illiterate and unformed that that trying to help him or her um, become an effective theologian, preacher, teacher is increasingly difficult because the church isn't really stepping into this space and taking serious the spiritual formation, in particular, the um, biblical literacy of their high school and college students, like it's just not on their radar. Right.
1: Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, uh, I've heard him say similar things where he basically says seminary, which used to exist to take Christians to to another level of theological education, has now become basic catechism. Uh, They're coming not just kind of biblically illiterate, but biblically illiterate. Uh, And and I'll be honest, that was me too. I mean, the Lord saved me in college, Uh, praise God for that, but I wasn't in a a church or uh, an institution where I was being taught and trained and discipled on a regular basis, other than, how you doing, bro? How's life? Which I was thankful for, and that was awesome. God used that to to sanctify me and and to conform me to the image of Christ, but I hadn't been taught theologically. It required me going to seminary for that. So as I saw what was happening in higher education, uh, which again, there's. We should also clarify. There's really good things happening oh, no in theological education. No, I'm this grateful is, for it. We do not hit a, need to hit a panic button. There are unbelievable things happening right. in our seminaries that we should praise God for. But as I saw some of the challenges that they're facing, and then also saw that churches have been punting on this, my heart really just began to be burdened for training in the local church, because right. that's where theology is done. When you yeah. think about history, theology has never been done uh, at, a, at really an institution. It's always been done in the church. You think about the early church creeds and counselors of the Reformation, yeah. these were not men and women that were riding in some ivory tower. They're actually typically running from persecution and writing for the sake of their congregations and for the glory of God, so yeah. that they can encourage and pastor people for the sake of the gospel, and I think we're facing a time like that again. The church has an opportunity to step into this space again and step into this domain to train disciples of Jesus Christ uh, to see their hearts change, to see their minds change, so that they're more like Jesus.
0: Okay, okay so talk a little bit about what are we doing here? What, you know, we, we've, we've got a fairly decent hill to climb.
1: Yeah, we do have a decent uh, hill to climb, Although I'll say this too, the Village is one of the most theologically oriented churches. I mean, we have, we have uh, a, I don't want to say a leg up, but we, we have the resources here, and people want it, which right. is incredible. We're right. not fighting a battle of, of showing people why this is important. The Village Church likes theology, and the Village Church likes training. So I'm stepping into a, pace, a place where I think there's a, there's a lot of room to grow, but there's also a huge amount of buy-in. And so really what we're trying to do, there's going to be a few distinctives about training at the village, uh, but we never want to separate head, heart, and hands. We want people to be immersed in the biblical story. We want to teach people what God has done in history for the sake of His church and for the sake of His glory. Uh, We want to immerse people in Christian belief. We want to teach doctrine. We want to teach theology. We want to create Trinitarians. We want to create people who love the church. Those are the things that we're going to be passionate about. But those things are never divorced from Christian transformation, seeing people conformed in the image of Christ, see their affections changed. What we're after here, a part of our mission statement is to create worshipers. That's really what we're doing. We're not trying to just create thinkers. We do want thinkers. We want people thinking well about God, thinking well about the Bible, but so that it rolls up into worship, so that it rolls up into greater affection for the Lord and for His Church. And so that's what I'm going to be after, is is teaching people the Christian story, spending a lot of time in the Bible, spending a lot of time in theology, but always for the purpose of spiritual formation and transformation.
0: Right. So you're working on that right now? Yeah. I mean, you know, we've got training is underway. We've got systematic classes, Old Testament classes, New Testament classes. We have various training classes at, at really all the campuses. But... But this this coming August, I think we're going to see a little bit of a transition. Yeah, and by yeah. a little bit, I mean we're going to see a transition come yeah, August. And yeah. so uh, let's talk just a little bit about what what the hope is in August and what this is going to look like.
1: Yeah, that's right. So we're going to tra- create some kind of a pipeline uh, of, of, of training and discipleship. There's going to be training classes that are available to anybody who would, who would come into the Village Church right. or, or, or be... A part of this church, really in any shape or fashion. We're going to have forums that are just going to be uh, one-off forums. We're bringing Sam Albury in in April to talk about the gospel and homosexuality. We're going to bring other guys in in the future just for for afternoon events or one-night events that allow us to speak to an issue that we think is important. We're going to also have classes that just teach what the village is and basic beliefs in the Christian faith. We're going to have membership classes and baptism classes just like we've always had. Uh, But what I'm really excited about is something that we're going to be releasing in August. It's the Village Training Institute, and the Village Training Institute is an ability for us to really dive deep with people who are saying, I want more. Yeah, right. I want more. I want to spend some time in Scripture. I want to spend some time in theology. I want to be a disciple, and I want to make disciples. Uh, and that's really what a disciple is, right? Yeah. You, you can't be a disciple unless you're discipling. Yeah. Right. Uh, it's inherent in what it is. So we, we want to create a culture here where people are being trained for the sake of discipleship. Uh, and like I said a minute ago, the distinctives of that, it's gonna it's going to look like the Christian narrative. We're going to spend a year uh, really, uh, or two semesters, I should say, yeah. going through the Bible. We want to start people in Genesis and end them in Revelation, to not just give them creation, fall, redemption, recreation, though that's wonderful, but to give them the, the bones and some of the meat of that framework. Yeah. Uh, we're going to spend some time doing some systematic theology as a result of that. What is it? Just for, so for example, in Genesis, we're spending time in Genesis 1. Seeing the creator-creature distinction, what does that mean? But not just for my head, for my heart, how does that change the way that I live, because I know that I'm not the creator, right. yeah. I'm, I'm I'm the creation, and what does that, how does that look when I'm uh, an, an accountant, or a lawyer, or a mom, or a dad, how does that change the way I'm discipling my kids, and so walking all the way through Genesis to Revelation through the scriptures, walking through theology, and walking through uh, spiritual disciplines, really.
0: So yesterday, you and I were looking over the curriculum, and, yep. yep. and kind of, uh, as you're forming this, and putting it all together, and, and I just get super excited about mm-hmm. this, uh, for our church, just for the the average person in our church that has the opportunity um, to be trained mm-hmm. at a pretty significant level. I mean, it, it's an investment on their end, no it question. Is. It is, and but it's one that yeah. it should be. It should be right, but that the the fruit of it is tremendous. Yeah. And and thinking about the opportunity that we're putting before our body to be trained up, um, not not necessarily to be trained up for pastoral ministry no, although that's no. a piece of it sure but really to be trained up culturally yeah. and biblically yeah. to be to be in the world that's but right. not of it that's and right. and to understand how God has designed them and wired them and created them and saved them and redeemed mm. them for such a good work as this that's and, right well, That's it's
1: pretty exciting. I think one of the burdens that, that uh, I'm continually that the Lord has just kind of brought in my heart over the past few weeks is that everybody's being discipled. There's no doubt. This is this is not a matter of okay, you you know you, you haven't been discipled, you need to be. You're being discipled in something. Right. You're being trained and brought up in a way of thinking and in a way of life. And so we want people at the village church and ultimately the the, the Lord's church everywhere universal yeah. to be disciples of Jesus Christ. And and the thing that we're going to be challenged with is discipleship according to the world is fast. It's easy, it's quick, it gets results immediately. Discipleship, according to the Christian faith, requires commitment and yeah. sacrifice and being inconvenienced. As Jesus says, carry your cross and yeah. follow me. And so those are the things that we're going to be asking our people to do, perhaps as some of them want to be a part of this program, is, is, is sacrificing, giving up for the sake of the cause of the kingdom so that you Absolutely. can be discipled.
2: Absolutely. Well, thank you guys for joining us on this episode of the podcast show. Uh, we know that you live uh, in a Genesis 3 world, uh, working hard to make the name and renown of Jesus Christ known, whether you're a minister or a layperson. So, pray that this has been encouraging for you, and we will roll out another one uh, in the next couple of weeks. And so, God bless, and we'll chat with you again.